Whenever I hear someone explain why the word marijuana is racist, I think about this clip from producer Alejandro Alba of Now This. Stop saying marijuana. Why? Because it's racist ass The term was used to knock on people of color and their devilish ways. Now, the word itself isn't inherently racist, but it was used by American prohibitionists to exploit racism and xenophobia. So by using the M word, you're ignoring a long history of oppression against Mexican immigrants and African Americans. His visual op-ed about the M word went viral in 2018, not necessarily because he was right, but because a lot of people straight up disagreed. I'm Tiara Darnell, and this is Hi Good People, a podcast that explores the relationships between people of color and cannabis in the new age of legalization. I'd heard that the word marijuana was racist a few years before I saw Alba's video. I heard it at my first ever cannabis social. I was at a yoga studio attending a discussion exclusively for women about the blurred ethical boundaries some encounter working in the cannabis industry. Because Portland... I listened to the all-white panel as I sat surrounded by majority white women. One of the women got to talking about some guy I'd never heard of, Harry Anslinger. The way she told it, Anslinger was a racist bureaucrat that engineered the demonization of marijuana by associating the drug with blacks and Mexicans. His goal was to turn white people against people of color. He used the media to do it, and he was clearly successful. Sounds familiar, right? As I listened to her, I silently committed to only say the word cannabis. I wasn't about to be out here in these streets using racist terminology. Eventually, I realized how ill-informed my decision was. What I heard was missing context. But I believed this person because she was presented as an expert. Cannabis is the word everyone uses anyway. My friend Savina Fierro says using the word cannabis instead of marijuana is just a clever marketing tool. She can see why the word cannabis is more appealing. Personally, I feel like cannabis has gotten this new edgy vibe to it as a great marketing term. I think it instantly classes up the plant. It instantly separates any idea of laziness or stoner vibes from the plant, which I think the cannabis community needs to accept as just another facet of the plant. You know, it's so diverse and it affects everyone differently. You got your stoner people and you got your boutique craft cannabis users, you know, and I think the cannabis community needs to accept all variations, all people that use, um, because it's a beautiful plant and it helps people in so many different ways. We shouldn't be fussing and fighting over such minute things. Savina is Latina. She does freelance graphic design and branded content for cannabis businesses. We connected on Instagram after a friend sent me one of her posts. Not only was her design visually compelling, but the caption presented the first counter-argument I'd heard to the idea that the word marijuana is racist. And it came from a Latinx perspective, not a white one. I was ready to be schooled. As it turns out, Savina was motivated to create the image after watching Alejandro's video, the bit you heard at the top. The media has a certain relationship with people and they're going to frame their point of view in a certain way. So I thought, I'm another Latina artist and I can throw you know, my voice out there just as easily as he can. And she did. I wanted a very bold, striking, typographic piece. And so I really just blew up the word marijuana as big as I can get it and put it on a bright red background so people can't ignore it. (laughs) They're going to see it when they're scrolling down their feed. And the first sentence that I put was, marijuana is not a racist term. The word marijuana has centuries of diverse history that's still shrouded in mystery, she continues in her IG post. 
Not long after my interview with Savina, an image from another Portland-based Chicana popped up on IG arguing more of the same. Yvonne Perez Emerson is an artist and cannabis entrepreneur. My dad was a Chicano from deep South Texas. He's first generation. He wanted us to assimilate. So he didn't want to speak Spanish. He wanted us to be very American. The marijuana was part of our culture. He ran it back and forth from Mexico all the time. Like Savina, Yvonne also encountered white influencer after influencer discouraging followers from using the word marijuana on Instagram. For a while, she just ignored it. Eventually, it annoyed her. Then came the post that broke the camel's back. It was big, don't say marijuana, say cannabis instead. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's not cool to tell like a whole culture that they can't say marijuana. It just felt a little like elitist and privileged to me. And I was just kind of irritated with it. I was just like, fuck it. I don't have a huge platform, but I'm going to have a response to this. Her response, hashtag, don't shame the name. And I'm like, that's a great hashtag. I want to keep putting that out there. Her Instagram post featured images with text explaining the origins of various slang for cannabis, like ganja, a Hindi word, pot, a derivative of patagaya, a Spanish word, and of course, marijuana. I asked her to read her post caption. Other terms of endearment include flower, weed, herb, kind, and even dank. As I understand the Latin or scientific word is cannabis, I can't get behind erasing a cultural love of language to describe the plant. And I don't appreciate being shamed with the propaganda surrounding this new thought process. It feels a little privileged to me. So please, call it what you want, but don't try to encourage me or anyone else to change their way of speaking to educate me or to normalize the movement. Instead, we should embrace the culture around it reefer, broccoli, bud, or Mary Jane. It's not about what we call it. It's about how we represent it and how we share our story and our relationship with it. Both Savina and Yvonne got me thinking about getting to the root of marijuana's lexical history. The debate over what to call or not call this plant also had me thinking about how, when, and why cultural communities reclaim stigmatized words. And I also wondered if using the word cannabis instead of marijuana perpetuates erasing marijuana's Mexican heritage. Was I unwittingly aligned with white-dominant culture, the culture that benefited the most from the prohibition of weed and now its legalization? As a non-Latinx person, I felt caught between una piedra and a hard place. The argument I heard was split two to one between Savina and Yvonne and Alejandro Alba. I decided to consult an expert, Isaac Campos, a professor of history at the University of Cincinnati. He's an expert in modern Mexico and the history of illicit drugs. He wrote a book called Homegrown, Marijuana and the Origins of Mexico's War on Drugs. Originally, cannabis was just simply called cañamo, which is the Spanish word for now used basically for hemp, but was used for the cannabis plant in general at first. And then it was called, by at the end of the 18th century, it was called people fleece, which is a Nahuatl word, meaning the most noble princes. So can we just go through really quickly some of the words that marijuana has been known as that you've come across in the course of your research? And you don't have to name all of them, but just an idea of all the different names that this plant has been called. Rosa Maria. It would um, sometimes called Doña Juanita, though I'm not sure when that starts. It's definitely got that name in the early 20th century. Muggles, which now, of course, is associated with Harry Potter, strangely. He means awesomely. That was originally uh, associated with marijuana. Despite what you may have heard, the cannabis plant is not native to Mexico. Cannabis is actually native to South and Central Asia and arrived to the Americas with the Spanish conquistadors in the 1530s. 
They cultivate it and use it primarily as an industrial fiber. Eventually, indigenous peoples began to grow it too, but mainly for medicinal purposes. It's at this point that people start using the plant to get high. Then sometime in the early 20th century, the spelling of the word marijuana begins to morph. Well, that's the thing with the J. That's how it starts being spelled in the U.S. for some reason. I don't know when. And up here, of course, it starts to be called Mary Jane, which isn't that different than in Mexico where it was called Doña Juanita, which means kind of, kind of like a miss. Uh, Juanita. J starts to appear and just becomes dominant by like the 70s. I think you still see it with an H quite a bit in the 60s and early 70s, but after that it becomes a J and it's always a J now. And people think you're misspelling it if you use an H or a G, but in Mexico it's always been with, a, with an H or a G. So that explains a little about the roots of the word marijuana as we know it today with a jota or a J. But what about the racist baggage? Where'd that come from? Not from Harry Anslinger, believe it or not. Well, he's responsible for some of it. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. First, the tea on Mexico. Isaac couldn't find any mention of the earliest words for marijuana in local Mexican records dating from the late 1700s to about the mid-1800s. His research instead reveals that over that period, Mexicans began to associate marijuana not only as a dangerous drug, but also with what people viewed as the most repugnant elements of Mexican society. Prisoners, and interestingly enough, soldiers. I speculate because it was relatively easy to smuggle the drug into a prison or a soldier's barrack. And a soldier's barrack was very similar to a prison in 19th century Mexico because most soldiers were forced into the army. The Mexican media perpetuated this sinister characterization of prisoners and soldiers through various reports, some commissioned by the Catholic Church. It's associated with madness from the very moment it is first reported to be used for intoxicating purposes. So the reports from the 1770s that refer to it as uh, people sinsinsles and talk about how the Catholic Church has banned the people sinsinsles mention that um, it's mostly used for medicinal slash religious purposes, but there are reports of people having gone mad from taking it. So the very first report we have actually connects it to madness. And then those reports from the 1850s also mention when you take too much of it, it can produce violence and, and lead to people to have a kind of furious delirium, sort of a, a kind of angry madness. Beginning in really about the 1880s, you begin to get the emergence of more popular style newspapers. So prior to the 1880s, a newspaper in Mexico was a very serious affair, long form of very serious articles about politics and so forth. After the 1880s, as in a lot of other places in the world, you start to get newspapers that are more aimed at ordinary people. And these contain crime pages. This is in Mexico sometimes called La Nota Roja, the Red Note. Um, and it's the crime pages where people get reports on just ordinary stuff. Joe Blow down the street got drunk and went on the street and got in a fist fight. And this kind of thing starts to appear. For the next 70 to 80 years, Mexicans associated marijuana with these violent environments. By the turn of the century, the stories made their way to the U.S. Americans began to learn about something called marijuana with the letter J, even though marijuana was no stranger in the southwest border states at the time. That disturbing narrative dogged marijuana. Anslinger didn't make up any of those ideas that he was spreading around. He was just harnessing a decades-old story about marijuana's effects that not only came out of Mexico, but there are other places in the world where these kinds of effects were reported. Is that what you mean when you say something along the lines of um, marijuana prohibition being kind of a, quote, informal American colonization? That's what I'm arguing against. The traditional view in the historiography, and the one that probably most of your listeners will be familiar with, is this idea that the United States is somehow exceptional in that the U.S. has these 
virulent anti-drug views and prohibition sentiments and has kind of forced them on the rest of the world. And so there's a historian by the name of uh, Richard Davenport Hines who wrote a book, kind of a popular history of, of drugs in the world. And he referred to um, to uh, drug prohibition as a kind of uh, informal American cultural uh, colonization. So kind of forcing American culture on everyone else as if everyone else wouldn't have been interested in drug prohibition and wouldn't have produced prohibitionist policies um, had it not been for the United States. And part of that story is this idea that Mexicans used marijuana, didn't think much of it until Mexican immigrants started coming to the U.S. And then once they got to the United States, xenophobes um, didn't like the Mexican immigrants, and so therefore they um, not only demonized the Mexican immigrants, but they demonized their supposed drug of choice, marijuana, according to that literature, which I, I of course, think is wrong. And so it was the U.S. that then demonized marijuana and then tried to get everybody else to also demonize it. But um, as I show in the book, that's um, almost the exact opposite of what happened. It was that marijuana was thoroughly demonized in Mexico. And those ideas from Mexico began to spread in the U.S. It was more kind of an informal Mexican cultural colonization of the U.S. rather than the other way around. The demonization of marijuana in Mexico became fuel for Harry Anslinger, the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics. With help from newspaper baron William Randolph Hearst, Anslinger used mainstream media as his tool to disparage marijuana nationwide. He used graphic excerpts from police reports to blame marijuana for causing people to go mad and commit crimes. Most infamously, he wrote a story for the American magazine about Victor Licata, a Florida man who murdered his family with an axe in 1933. In his story, Anslinger depicted Licata as, quote, an axe-murdering marijuana addict. He pointed to the case as evidence of a correlation between marijuana and crime. Licata was deemed insane and unfit to stand trial. He was committed to the Florida State Hospital for the Insane, where he hung himself 17 years later. Researchers in the 1990s found no mention of marijuana in Licata's psychiatric reports, nor did the police at the time consider it a factor in the killings. Prior to his arrest in 1933, Licata was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but attempts to institutionalize him before the murders were unsuccessful. Anslinger disregarded Licata's mental health and used Licata's story to drive reefer madness hysteria. Now, Anslinger was a pretty bad guy. He loved to exaggerate. He loved to bully people. Uh, he was a real jerk. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think it was um, a terrible mistake to prohibit marijuana in the 1930s. But the story's a lot more complicated than just Anslinger, you know, being a monster and uh, just people in the U.S. being racist. Both things are true, of course, um, but it's certainly not the whole story. So there you have it. The negative and racist stereotypes about marijuana actually weren't made in America. They were hecho in Mexico, imported to the U.S., then finally co-opted by Anslinger and others to suit their purposes. The U.S. basically culturally appropriated the fear of marijuana and prohibitionist angst. Yep, even when it comes to drug prohibition, America, as it turns out, not so exceptional after all. So now we've heard the different opinions about why we should and shouldn't say the word marijuana. And we got the scoop from Dr. Isaac Campos about the social origins of the word. My stance on the word is this. Now, the word itself isn't inherently racist. Agreed. Black and brown communities didn't assign the racial baggage to it, so they shouldn't be shamed by anyone for their word choice. Cannabis is derived from Greek and Latin. Declaring that word better than the Mexican word and telling others not to use it is active cultural erasure to me. I'm free to use the word marijuana if I want to, especially since I did the work to learn the history of it. But truthfully, I still feel somewhat compelled to say cannabis. Where I live, less culturally informed people will judge me if I don't, and I'm not getting paid to teach them. Marijuana or cannabis, you do you, and I'ma do me. Life ain't nothing but a code switch anyway.
Hi Good People is produced by me, Tierra Darnell, with editorial and production assistance by Ambar Espinoza. The theme music by Fritzois is called Bouncin' off the album by the same name. Shout out to the Regional Arts and Culture Council in Portland, Oregon for supporting the first season of Hi Good People with a grant. Don't forget, support what you like to hear. Like, share, follow, rate, and or leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening from so others can find it more easily. Bye, good people. Was I unwittingly aligned with white dominant culture? The culture that benefited the most from the prohibition of weed and now its legalization? Ugh. Eh. Ugh. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> can That's we good. put all of <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.